0: Thank you. Appreciate that. We are going through the book of Luke, and so we're going to continue doing that. Luke is a long gospel. I think it's the longest, actually. And we're taking a long time to get through it, but that's okay. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 18, Luke 18, and actually uh, ending chapter 18 and going into chapter 19 this evening. Luke chapter 18, and we're going to be starting in verse 35, and really tonight, we're going to be looking at two stories that are pretty familiar if you have read the Gospels and you have uh, a history reading the Bible. These are two stories that are, are quite familiar. One, if you were saved into a Christian home, you probably sang about when you were a child. That wee little man that climbed up into a sycamore tree. For the Lord he wanted to see, right? We have that, but even before that, the, in Luke chapter 18, we're going to be uh, reading about a man by the name of Bartimaeus. And the fact that we know his name is significant, actually, in regards to the early church. But We're going to see two different miracles that Jesus performed. One was a physical miracle. The other was a spiritual miracle. But both of them were miracles. Um, during the time frame, where we are in Luke chapter 18, um, we're about a week and a half away from the crucifixion. So Jesus is about ready to enter the final week of his life prior to the crucifixion. And these two accounts are probably the most joyous times that he and His disciples and the crowds that are following him, probably the most joyous times that they're going to have, For the foreseeable future. Now, obviously, the resurrection, there's a great amount of joy, but there's also a great amount of mystery, too. This is two, two and a half years, three years into Jesus' ministry. So he's been going to and from, and now he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he stops in the city of Jericho, and Jericho. If you were to go to Jericho nowadays, Jericho is a a pretty desolate place, but back then it was very opulent. It was very, um, there were were lots of palm trees and lots of flowers, and it was kind of like this jewel in a very um, arid area. Uh, Jericho was a wonderful place to be. Um, And so as he's going through Jericho, he's heading towards Jerusalem, but there's two providential stops that he's going to make. So we're going to pick up in verse 35 of chapter 8. As Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now, hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out, saying, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him glorifying God and when all the people saw it they gave praise to God. We're going to see two miracles this evening and both of them actually relate to vision. One most obviously relating to vision, this one. But another miracle relating to spiritual vision. Now the beggar his name isn't given in this passage, but in Mark and in Matthew, the same account is given. This story, this this particular account, is given in three of the four Gospels. And in Mark, they give his name as Bartimaeus. Now, Matthew and Mark, as they describe this event, they assume, especially in Mark, they assume that the reader has familiarity with this individual. In fact, as you're reading through Gospel accounts, and you see people's names identified, like, for example... Simon, who as Jesus is going to Golgotha, Simon uh, is named and he's there to help with the cross, right? You remember that? And here you have a man named Bartimaeus. It's not just because the author has these people, you know, just trying to identify characters for character's sake. More often than not, these were men or women that were converted to Christianity and became founding members of the early church. So it would kind of like be giving a story of, let's just say, you know, 20 years ago, a man by the name of Josh Carney walked into Grace Church. We all know Josh Carney, right? He's, he's a member here at Grace, and, and he's, he and his wife and, and children, and they've been attending for, for years. This would be something like that. You know, kind of like an origin story of how the person came to Christ. Well, here, Barnamaeus, a Christian that would have been well-known to the community that Mark was writing to, was a beggar. He most likely continued as a Christ follower. Now, his story here is well-known. He's a beggar. Jesus is coming into Jericho. There's a crowd. And what does he do? He calls out to Jesus. And look what he says in verse 38. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, Bartimaeus most likely was a Jew. In fact, from what he shared, it's pretty clear that he was aware of Old Testament prophecy. Not just aware or informed of Old Testament prophecy, but he was a believer In the fact that Jesus of Nazareth was the fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy. You see, what we see here is a man who, though was physically blind, had spiritual sight. He recognized Jesus for who he really was. Son of David was an indication that this Jew knew who Jesus really was. He was the promised Messiah, he was the one prophesied in the Old Testament. Now, as he's approaching the Messiah, calling out for the Messiah, he's not just calling out for him to get his attention so that he could notice him and maybe contribute some money. He's calling out to him so that he'll heal him, so that Jesus will come and heal him. Now, it's really important that we understand the context of Luke, especially when Luke makes mention earlier on in the letter of things relating to this miracle. So, for a moment, turn back to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Now, in Luke 7, we have an instance where John the Baptist is imprisoned. And from other Gospels, we understand that John has sent his disciples to inquire of Jesus, as to whether or not he really is who he says he is. Whether John was doubting, whether he was in despair, whether he you know, wanted to affirm where he was given the end of his ministry, given that things weren't going well for him, He sends his disciples, and in verse 18, we see the disciples of John reporting to him about these things. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? Now, when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? Verse 21. At that very time, Jesus, he, cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, Go and report what you have seen and heard. And look at the very first phrase. The blind receive sight. Now my Bible, that's in all caps. Which just simply means that it's a quotation from the Old Testament. Why make a deal of this? Because Bartimaeus was a believer before he was able to see. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And by believing, he also believed what would accompany the Messiah, which is these miracles, one of which was the blind receiving sight. So when Bartimaeus calls out, Son of David, have mercy on me, we see this Theme of the Old Testament prophecy coming true playing out before us. But he also says, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. He acknowledged Jesus' identity, who he was, but he also acknowledged Jesus' authority. Have mercy on me. Now, he persisted in this. It's not like he just said it once. He said it multiple times. Not only did he believe what he was saying, he shouted it. This is a mass of people. And he's shouting it over and over again. So much so that back in Luke 18, verse 39, those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. You know, in chapter 18 of Luke, Jesus makes an interesting statement when the children are coming to him and he says, unless a person comes to me like a child, they cannot be my disciple. I kind of think of a childlike faith in Bartimaeus in this way. And, and if you've ever seen a child get lost in a grocery store, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when they get lost and they're looking for mom, what do they do? they cry they yell mom mom and it doesn't matter how many clerks come it doesn't matter how many people come oh there there where's your mother what was she wearing ah! i mean it's crying out nothing will settle that child until what they see mom that's bartimaeus that's bartimaeus And just like that child in the grocery store where everyone's craning their necks like, whoa, is everything okay? (laughs) Or someone find that kid's mom. All of the crowd was looking at Barnabas by this point. They're all, what is this guy doing? And it's a beggar. This was the lowest of the low in society. Yet Jesus hears, the crowd hears, and... He acknowledges him. This beggar's cry, an affirmation of Jesus as Messiah, who could heal his blindness. It rang over the crowd again and again. Lord, he says, after being asked by Jesus, Jesus comes to him. says, what do you want? He says, Lord, I want to see. This man's expectations were pretty high. I'm looking around, and many of you have glasses. I have glasses. How easy is it to fix your eyes? I mean, okay, is this one better? Is this one better? And they, you know, flip all the little things, and right, you know, and they you know, take a couple days, and they, they make the glasses, or if you go to LensCrafters, it's about an hour. And then, you know, you can see. But they don't actually fix these. And when I take these off, you're all just a blurry mass. Okay? I can put these on, and now I can see. But we're 2,000 years ago. How easy is it to fix eyes? Well, just recently we've had, you know, the invention of LASIK surgery, the past 20, 30 years, and eye correction, and and um, that's pretty remarkable stuff. But it's not easy to fix eyes. And that's exactly what Barnabas wanted Jesus to do. He came with expectations. He expected a miracle. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Matthew, I believe, and Mark both say that um, Jesus put his fingers on his eyes or touched him. Regardless, it was a miracle. That when he came to Jesus not seeing anything, Jesus speaks to him. Jesus touches him, and he can see. And he can see not only can he see but everyone else can see that he can see and who's the first person that he sees Jesus I don't know about you but there's a part of me that really hopes that when I die the first person I see is Jesus. I hope. I don't know. I don't. I know to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. That's the closest I got from a Bible standpoint, but I really hope that that's the first thing I see. That's the first person I see. But that was the first person that Barnabas saw. And how did he respond? Well, Jesus didn't say anything to him after he says, receive, my, receive your sight. He says, your faith has made you well. Jesus had healed other people and they had gone their way. Remember the ten lepers? But Bartimaeus, having regained his sight, began following him and glorifying God. Bartimaeus was going to use that sight, as it were, to become a Christ follower. Of all the places he could go, of all the things that he could do, what does he do? He follows Christ. Not only that, The others around him are brought to rejoicing. But they see it. They give praise to God. He glorified God, which led others in the crowd to rejoice with him and to praise God. Now, as we see this particular story, we see that the only way Bartimaeus would have received help was by acknowledging that he was blind. Now, this is obvious for Bartimaeus. He physically is blind. He obviously knew that he was blind, but there were so many, and if I can put it this way, there are so many that are familiar with Jesus, that know what he has said. There were many that followed Jesus in this particular instance who saw what he did with their own two eyes. They saw him heal men. They saw him perform miracles. And yet they were spiritually blind. Jesus repeatedly rebuked the Pharisees for their spiritual blindness. John chapter 9 is an entire chapter given to sight versus blindness. And where someone who's lacking physical sight is given physical sight and has spiritual sight as well. And the Pharisees who were supposed to have spiritual sight were spiritually blind and remained in their blindness. They thought they were something when they weren't. They couldn't see that they were blind. One commentator put it this way, there's something worse than being physically blind. It's not knowing that you are blind. And from a spiritual standpoint, Christ was performing both a physical and a spiritual miracle, which leads us to our second story which is the giving of spiritual sight. We pick up here in chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for Jesus was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they, this is the crowd, and and I'm guessing the crowd that Just recently saw Bartimaeus being made, uh, who was blind, uh, now given vision, same crowd. When they all saw it, they began to grumble, saying, He is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, in light of the theme of Luke, this story about Zacchaeus being received by Christ is one that falls right along with the theme. This account of Zacchaeus is only included in, in Luke it's not included in Mark, Matthew, or John. So when that happens, and you're studying the Bible, you see something that's only in one of the Gospels, you have to ask, okay, why would the author, here, Luke, include that? And the reason why I believe he includes it is because this goes with the theme of Jesus receiving the outcasts. That Jesus gives a special amount of love and grace and kindness to those those that society loathes. In this case, a tax collector, who frankly was an easy target. Matthew chapter 10 and chapter 15 have Jesus saying that he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And as we look at Luke 19 and verse 10, where it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, we see Jesus acknowledging and recognizing his purpose for coming, to seek and to save the lost, but also that the lost was one of them. Meaning that the lost were in the house of Israel as well. Now as we have this story be very, very familiar, We know the details. We know how it works out. We know the song. There are some things, I think, that we need to give special attention to, not to try to find new information, but really get at the heart of what Jesus is saying in verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what he's there for. That's the theme. But the first thing I want us to see in this particular account is that Jesus' kindness opened the door for repentance. It's Jesus' kindness that opens the door for repentance. You see, when Bartimaeus saw Jesus, or I'm sorry, heard Jesus coming, he says, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus had mercy on him. But he also had mercy on Zacchaeus as well. Now, I was trying to think, you know, in our society, are there any occupations that are like universally distrusted or just hated? Because here you had Zacchaeus being a tax collector. He's a Jew. And being a tax collector, collecting funds for Rome. That was, you know, public enemy number one. I'm trying to think if there's any professions. And, uh, you know, for fear of putting my foot in my mouth, if any of you are those professions. um, I I mean, maybe like an ambulance-chasing lawyer or, or something to that effect. You know, just someone who's loathsome to society. Or a politician. You know, this was Zacchaeus. He, he, he was public enemy number one. And obviously, given that he was a Jew, he was patting his pockets, to be sure. He was very wealthy. In fact, when it says here in verse 2 that he was a chief tax collector, he wouldn't have been the man that went from door to door. He would have been the man that oversaw the men that went door to door. And so he took a fund of what they took, and so... This was was not a well-liked man. And oh, by the way, he was short. Which would have, again, made him that much more of an easy target. Easier to to disdain. Yet, Jesus showed kindness to him. And Zacchaeus' response was similar to Matthew. You know, Matthew the tax collector. Matthew the disciple. Matthew, when shown love by Jesus, recognized the folly of riches and became a follower of Jesus Christ. No stern rebuke was needed. You know, I know when the little kids say, Zacchaeus, you come down. You know, in some ways they're right because those in the Greek are imperatives. They weren't say, they weren't like, Zacchaeus, you know, could you please come down? I really want to go. No, they were imperatives. You know, I'm going to your house today. That was an imperative. You know, you come down. That was an imperative. So these weren't, you know, subtle. Jesus was was being very clear. But he wasn't being stern. I mean, this would have been an honor. A man who has such a following, who's performing these signs, going to his house? The crowd, frankly, would have loved it if Jesus would have teed off on Zacchaeus. I mean, they would have loved it had he rebuked Zacchaeus or made fun of him for being up in a tree, you know, kind of poking at him. Ha <laughs> They would have loved that. I mean, they clearly weren't crazy about Jesus going to his house. I mean, right? In, in verse 7, when they all saw what Jesus said, they began to grumble, saying he's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. They don't even call him by his name. They would have... Fed off of Jesus, just really sticking it to Zacchaeus. What does Jesus do? He doesn't stick it to Zacchaeus. By the way, Jesus was also a Jewish citizen and he paid taxes like everybody else too. So don't think that somehow the rest of the people that Zacchaeus defrauded, that Jesus wasn't part of that too. I mean, He could have very easily gone along with the mob and looked at Zacchaeus as a crook. But what did he do? He saw a soul. He saw someone who was going to spend somewhere forever. He also saw a man that he could change, that he was changing. I mean, why did Zacchaeus climb up in that tree? Was it just to catch a view? Clearly, something's going on in Zacchaeus's heart. Because it's not like Jesus gave a full, robust presentation of the gospel message. He just says, come down, I'm going to your house. Zacchaeus was a Jew. He knew, by practice, Old Testament, similar to Barnabas. And he also knew of who Jesus was and most likely what had been said of him. Jesus didn't use his platform to tear down Zacchaeus. Instead, he used it to show mercy and love when it wasn't deserved. And I think this is an appropriate time to ask a really good question in 2021. And that's this. Who has God placed in your life that he would want you to show kindness to when it would be so much easier to just be critical and complain about them. Let's be honest. Okay? This might sting. If our governor walked into this room, I don't know how many would greet him the way Jesus greeted Zacchaeus. For some of you, and in this church, very strong opinions that you've made well known. And yet, what we're called to do is to pray for our leadership, to honor it. Jesus had every right and opportunity to lay into Zacchaeus as a Jewish citizen, and he didn't. Who has God placed in our life? No, the governor is probably not going to walk in. But you know what, we might have that coworker has different viewpoints than we do, and is pretty vocal about them. We might have a family member who's the same. Who has God placed in our life that instead of viewing them through the lens of their opinion, and whatever their viewpoint is, that God would have us view them as a soul, believer or unbeliever? Instead of seeing the differences, and magnifying those, you would see the soul that maybe needs saved, or the soul that needs loved, regardless. I think it's worth noting this part of Jesus' approach to Zacchaeus. And then we see Zacchaeus' response. I mean, if anything, if you want to put off in the margin, Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, where it's the loving kindness of God that leads men to repentance. I think this is a great example of Zacchaeus' bold claim was evidence that he was a repentant individual. It was evidence that a miracle had taken place. This bold claim, where in verse 8 he says, Behold, Lord, so showing the authority of Jesus, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. You know what he's doing here? He's showing a knowledge of Old Testament law. And he was exceeding what the Old Testament law would have demanded as far as paying back those you've cheated. He was exceeding it. First of all, giving half of his possessions to the poor. And then second of all, paying those who he's defrauded four times what he took. I mean, if you think about it, whatever his bank account was, it had just been cut at least, I'd say, two-thirds, maybe three-quarters. Whatever he had at the beginning of the day, he was now down 75% gladly. Interestingly enough, in the... Those of you who are home watching Zoom, all that noise, I apologize for that. My mic just fell off. In Luke 18 and 19, three different wealthy individuals are mentioned. Three. First of all, in Luke 18, verse 13, okay, we have this account of Jesus giving a parable of the Pharisee and the publican where the Pharisee is saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people like this tax collector, but in verse 13, the the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's wealthy person number one. Wealthy person number two was the unrepentant rich young ruler. Down in verse 18. Right? The ruler questioned Jesus, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In verse 21, he says, oh yeah, I've kept the whole law. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now look how close those accounts are to the Zacchaeus story. I think that's really noteworthy. Because the demands that Jesus places on the rich young ruler, he doesn't say any of that to Zacchaeus. And if there was someone who should have heard that, it was Zacchaeus, right? But here's the deal. He didn't have to. He didn't have to say that. Why? Because unlike the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus didn't have to be told to leave the God of money to follow Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus left it. Rich young ruler had to be told to leave it. And he didn't. And unlike the rich young ruler who believed himself to keep all of the law, Zacchaeus recognized the failures of his past and desired to make restitution. You know, even though Zacchaeus is a lot like Matthew, in the sense that he was a tax collector, he repented, became a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a little bit of a difference between Matthew and Zacchaeus. Because you know what we don't find in this? We don't find that he responded the same way Matthew responded, and that he responded the same way Bartimaeus responded. Because both Matthew and Bartimaeus, what did they do? After they repented, they got up and they followed Jesus. Here we have Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house. And we don't read of Zacchaeus leaving the life of a tax collector. We don't read Jesus making the demands on Zacchaeus that he made on the rich young ruler. Sell everything you have and come follow me. Why is that? I can't say for certain. But I think there is something worth noting. And that's this. There was something better than Zacchaeus maybe leaving his profession. Maybe it was remaining his, in his profession as a changed man. Maybe it was Zacchaeus being a tax collector, but being an honest tax collector. Being one who didn't take more than what he should have. Who honored the law and didn't pad his pockets. In John chapter 17, Jesus praised this for his disciples. I have not taken them out of the world. What if God wants believers And I want to put this carefully. What if God wants believers to remain where they are in the darkness so that his light would shine that much brighter? To be sure, there are some professions that are inherently evil. Okay? Whether you like it or not, you can't redeem drug dealing. Okay? If you become a Christian, you can't become a Christian drug dealer. Okay? That would be, yes, an oxymoron, very much so. Could Zacchaeus become a Christian tax collector? From a cultural standpoint. Would there be a stigma? Perhaps. What's my point? And I don't want to make more of this than what the passage makes of it. But this is different than Matthew. And this is different from Bartimaeus. And we shouldn't expect the world to get darker when all of the light removes itself from the world. Perhaps God has some of the light to remain in the darkness, so that there would be light in that darkness, and maybe there would be godly Zacchaeuses. And maybe it's within some of your hearts. If I could just not be where I'm at, if I could just be part of, oh, Pastor Mike, you have it good. You work at a church, and it's you know, if we just be around Christians all day, okay. But what if God has you, in the midst of a pretty dark environment, to be light, to do your job in a way that brings God glory, and that others might see it and glorify him? And what if that light that you bring is removed? Do you expect that place to get lighter? I mean, in a certain sense, it's like self-fulfilling prophecy when the light is removed from the dark. What do we expect the world to be like when the light is removed from the dark? This is why God has us, the light, to be in a dark world so that we might point others to Christ. Like Bartimaeus pointed others to Jesus. Like Zacchaeus pointed openly testified. And oh, by the way, this was not a work salvation. He wasn't saved because he gave up all his money. This was an evidence of a change that God had performed inside. This actually is what Pastor Tim has been preaching from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's turn there very quickly. 2 Corinthians 7. Verse 9. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow, has produced in you. And look at Zacchaeus in this following description. What vindication of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What longing. What zeal. What avenging of wrong. That's Zacchaeus to a T. In everything, you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. This is the kind of repentance we've been studying that restores relationships within the body of Christ. And we trust that Zacchaeus, when he repented, when he became a follower of Jesus Christ, and oh, by the way, if there's any doubt, Jesus testifies. <laughs> if Jesus says he's a believer, he's a believer. We know how this story ends. But if that faith then, if that repentance then was true, it would restore relationships as well. So the last line of Zacchaeus' account tells of Christ's mission, Right? Both to Zacchaeus, but also to blind to blind Bartimaeus. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, or those who are lost. To quote one author, Bartimaeus was lost in blindness and poverty, and Zacchaeus was lost in wealth and corruption. So what? What do we take from this? Well, I think there's two things we can take from this. First of all, there's no degree of lostness that Christ cannot overcome. There's no degree of lostness, if that's a word, that Christ cannot overcome. I mean, seriously, which was the greater miracle? Barnabas physically seeing or Zacchaeus spiritually seeing? Which is the greater miracle? Both. Barnabas, though blind, spiritually saw and was made to physically see. Zacchaeus, though spiritually blind, was made to spiritually see. Both are miracles. Neither was just simply the accumulation of information. Neither was, oh, maybe if, if you know, the inf- maybe if I, I just learn a little bit more. No, God effected a change in each one of their hearts. There's no degree of lostness that Christ cannot overcome. As I've studied for this, as I've prepared for this, there are, there are people that come to mind... That I feel convicted about because in my flesh I feel like they are too lost. They are. And the Bible says, no, that's not true. Which leads me to the second point, my second point. Only God can open the eyes of those who are lost to see themselves for who they really are. Only God can open their eyes. To see themselves for who they are. And brothers and sisters, that's not just out in society. That's within our body as well. The most difficult mission field out there. I believe we're in it. Fairly wealthy, fairly religious people. I mean, look at who Christ is the hardest on. And what does he say about the likelihood of wealthy people entering the kingdom of God? Only God can open the eyes of those who are lost, and there may be some among us. I'm not God. I'm not a prophet. But would we be mindful, especially as disciple-makers, would we be mindful of the miracle that God performs when He saves an individual. And would God give us discernment as we make disciples that there may be times where we do have the courage to speak up and say, Are you born again? We are called both in Philippians and 2 Corinthians to test ourselves whether or not we're genuinely of the house of faith. Both Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus had a whole lot of information, but God had to change their sight. Would our church be a pure, and being a church that is pure, and continue to be purified, and may it be pure from within? I love you, but are you persevering in your faith? Those who are your discipling, I want you to ask the same question about them. It doesn't make us judgmental, but it does make us careful. And then, of course, in our society, those who are openly in unbelief. We do live, I believe, in the most difficult mission field there is. Wealthy religious people. And... God must open their eyes. I trust that you are actively praying, not just for one another, not just for the folks that that are in your lives, but the, the unbelievers in the lives of others as well, that God might open their eyes, and that we persevere in that prayer, that we're persistent in that prayer, that in some way, we're like Bartimaeus. You know, like the child that's lost in the grocery store. God, save their soul. This is the high point in Jesus' ministry. I mean, from the standpoint of he's been ministering, he's performing miracles, people see conversion, they feel joy. Now he's about to enter into Jerusalem. Now the palm waves are about to wave, but now you're about to see the temple get cleansed once again. Now you're going to see the strong rebukes of Jesus. Now the nation of Israel is going to show itself for what it really is. Dark clouds are on the horizon. Luke is preparing us for that next section. And Lord willing, we'll be there next week. Okay? So let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day and for your word. Thank you for men like Bartimaeus, for Zacchaeus, who in eternity we may spend time talking with and hearing from them from their own mouths what it was like to see Jesus. But we will see him as well. Lord, I pray that each one of our faiths would be sincere from me, to all the people in this room. Lord, that that we might truly um, know and live what we know. That you might be our Lord. And Lord, I pray for those at Grace Church of Mentor that call Grace Church their church. Lord, I pray that we might be a pure and spotless bride. We're not all of the bride, to be sure. But Lord, as far as we have this church and we have these wonderful people, God, would they know you? And if there are any unbelievers in our midst, even within our membership, then the Lord convict them. Open their eyes. May we start from within. May it start with even, even within our families, from young to old. And then, God, as we've been called to be in different places within our community, I ask that you might uh, give us an awareness of those around us. Lord, you've put us sometimes in uncomfortable relationships. And rather than see those relationships for their discomfort, would we see them as opportunities? Or this literally may be the best that our coworkers, our family members, whoever it is that you've called us in this relationship, this might be the best they ever have. And here we are. And God, help us to love as Jesus loves Zacchaeus. Help us to have mercy as Jesus had with Bartimaeus. Open our eyes to see the reality of the circumstances. And then, Lord, give us wisdom as we speak and as we live out our faith. I thank you so much for these saints. Thank you for them and their faithfulness that they might persevere in their faith. To your glory. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. Those of you who are connecting on Zoom or listening to this at a different time, Thanks for your time. Uh, God bless you. Please pray for one another. Pray for me. Pray for you. Have a wonderful evening and a week.